0: Visit carp.ca.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review All Things Zoomer. Worldwide, I'm Libby Zneimer. What is happening to the family silver? Prized possessions used to be a precious legacy. Now, many younger people are just saying no to what they consider unwanted stuff. We'll talk about the avalanche of heirlooms. Plus, a new major study finds the conventional wisdom about dietary fat is wrong. Fat Is fine and low fat diets may actually raise your risk of early death. I'll talk to researcher Dr. Andrew Menti from McMaster University. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A newly released survey by AARP says 18 to 39 year olds are more likely to be happier later in life. Interestingly, almost half of those surveyed under the age of 39 believe it's normal to be depressed when you age. But according to the study, those aged 60 and up say they have higher levels of life satisfaction than their younger counterparts, and 67% say they're satisfied or very satisfied with their lives. As Christopher Nolan's movie Dunkirk continues to bring in big bucks, many filmgoers have no idea that the main character was inspired by a Canadian officer who helped rescue hundreds of thousands of troops in Dunkirk. British Royal Naval Officer Commander J. Campbell Clauston from Montreal is considered by historians to be Canada's greatest war hero ever. He helped evacuate British troops at Dunkirk in 1940, but is not mentioned in the film. After some protests and lobbying, Commander Clauston will be receiving official recognition by the Canadian government, most likely having his own commemorative stamp.
0: Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the star the your
2: eyes. One of Ireland's best known singer songwriters, Van Morrison, will receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Americana Honors and Awards show. Morrison will also perform at the show with fellow music legends Graham Nash and John Prine. The awards will take place September 16th in Nashville. Morrison will release his 37th album. Roll with the punches on September 22nd. Former U.S. Secretary of State and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton is coming to Canada this month. It's all part of the promotional book tour for her new memoir, What Happened? Clinton will be in Toronto at the end of September to talk about the 2016 election and tell us what the future has in store for her. She'll also be making stops in Montreal and Vancouver. I'm Libby Zneimer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's something that's been ingrained in our brains for many years. Fat makes you fat, and it's bad for our hearts and overall health. But a new study finds it's actually too little fat that can shorten your life. Researcher Dr. Andrew Mente from McMaster University explains.
3: What we found is that going down to low levels that are currently recommended may actually put you at increased harm. We found that lower fat intake is associated with increased mortality. Higher fat is related to less mortality. Conversely, we found that higher carbohydrate intake is related to more mortality. So fats appear to be beneficial, and this includes different types of fat, both the unsaturated fats, like monounsaturated and polyunsaturated, as well as saturated fat. With carbohydrates, we found the opposite. The higher the carbohydrate in the diet, the higher the mortality. So what is the
2: current recommendation in terms of the balance, and what should it be?
3: Well, the current recommendation is people consume less than 30% of their daily caloric intake from total fat and less than 10% from saturated fat, which is de facto a higher-carbohydrate diet. Protein typically is standard, like around 15% of daily calories. What we find is that if you consume a very high carbohydrate diet, like say about above 60% of energy, you'd be putting yourself at increased risk. So if you're at high levels, we recommend a more moderate carbohydrate diet, like around maybe 55 to 60% of energy, and an accompanying increase in fats. Now, we're not recommending a very high fat diet either. You know, moderate amounts combined with a moderate carbohydrate intake, that appears to be the sweet spot to achieve optimal health.
2: What kind of fat are you talking about? I mean, we've all heard that animal fat clogs your arteries. Are we talking more cheeseburgers? Uh, more what? Or are we talking about more almonds?
3: what we found is that whether or not it's animal fat, saturated fat, which typically is meats and dairy, or unsaturated fats, which is, you know, vegetable oils or nuts and seeds or fish, they're all beneficial, regardless of the type of fat. Whereas the carbohydrates, and typically what we mean by carbohydrates is we don't mean fruits and vegetables and legumes, but typically, you know, the refined carbohydrates and the added sugar, that's really what largely drives this effect. Although We will look at that in more detail in a future paper.
2: Getting back to this carbohydrates, what has carbohydrates? People
3: are confused. I'm a little confused. (laughs) Well, carbohydrates is found both in whole grain type foods. Uh, 100% whole wheat bread, for instance, is a whole grain, but also a lot of refined grains are carbohydrates. The refined ones undergo, you know, the processing where they remove the fiber, the bran part of the grain. A lot of the starches that we eat, many types of white bread, baked goods contain refined carbohydrates. A lot of the polished rice that's consumed in many parts of the world, including poorer countries, that is also very refined type of carbohydrate.
2: So we should cut back on that as well.
3: Yes, this is what the data shows, that too much of that can put you at increased risk. Moderate amounts is fine, but you certainly should not overdo it. In many of the poorer countries, they consume very high amounts of this.
2: And uh, what about, I mean, fruits and vegetables also have carbs.
3: Yes. And now largely that is healthier type of carbs. Obviously, they have a lot of fiber and a lot of nutrients and minerals that the body needs. So what the refined carbs do and the added sugars is they create increases in glucose levels and spikes in insulin, which we know is not good for the body, whereas fruits and vegetables do not have those types of effects.
2: Were you surprised by these results?
3: Uh, Well, there's been a lot of data recently from observational studies suggesting that higher intake of carbs, particularly the bad carbs that I mentioned, are associated with a modestly higher risk of cardiovascular disease and obviously a risk factor for diabetes as well. So from that standpoint, it's not surprising. Recently, a lot of observational studies have shown that saturated fat is not related to cardiovascular disease, contrary to what many people think. So our findings are actually consistent with that in that we found no relationship between saturated fat and major cardiovascular events. There is a lower risk of mortality with higher saturated fat and other types of fat. What is driving that we need to explore in the future paper. It, it may be perhaps fewer cancers, it may be less liver disease or what have you, and that's something that we need to explore. In the
2: meantime, what should people do about their diet?
3: I would say practice moderation, certainly feel free to eat more fats, but don't overdo it either. If you have a very high carb diet or you eat lots of rice and cakes and pies, you want to minimize that, bring it down to a more moderate level. We certainly don't advocate low-carb diets either because we did not find that low-carbs are beneficial, which typically means consuming from all the major food groups, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, meats, dairy, fish, and nuts and seeds, and you should be fine.
2: Okay, Dr. Andrew Mente, thanks so much for that.
3: You're welcome, Libby. Take care. Bye.
2: That was Dr. Andrew Mente from McMaster University. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, it's a problem more and more Zoomers face as our generation and our parents age and downsize. What do we do with our stuff? And why don't our kids want it?
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Are you downsizing from a family home? Or maybe you're helping an elder loved one through the process. It used to be a given that prized possessions would pass from one generation to the next. But now the chain of mementos is breaking down. Karen Shin is co-owner of a company called Downsizing Divas. We talked about the practical and emotional fallout from the heirlooms avalanche.
4: When we started our business in 2001, it was pretty easy to find places and people who would take surplus items. Shabby chic was all the rage, so we'd be having spots to let go of brown furniture. Um, And people were still, you know, feeling enough guilt, I guess, about holding on to some of the heirlooms that parents wanted to pass along. But in the last two or three, four years, there's two generations of people downsizing now. So what normally would be One generation's worth of extra stuff has now just doubled, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon.
2: Okay, so which are the two generations that are downsizing, and who doesn't want their stuff?
4: Okay, the two generations that are downsizing would be boomers and their parents, and the generation that doesn't want their stuff would be the 30s, 40s, and 50-year-olds. They're the ones who are saying, you know what, i got my own stuff, and I don't need anything else. We're finding the millennials are saying, you know what, I just want to free up my time and my space. We thought boomers were going to change the world, and of course, as a boomer, we know we changed a lot. But like our parents, we chose to buy houses and fill them with stuff. The millennials and the younger boomers aren't so enamored with collecting things. I think the word is out that millennials are really more interested in collecting experiences than they are things, which is not a bad way to look at life, really. You
2: mentioned at the beginning that a while ago when shabby chic was in style, it wasn't a problem. So how much of this just has to do with whatever happens to be fashionable in interior design?
4: Some of it, I think, Libby, is what currently is hot, and we know for some of our clients who were clever enough at the time in the 70s to buy teak furniture, All that mid-century modern, as they call it now, is very hot. So when we walk into a client's house who has teak furniture, at least we don't have that, oh, my gosh, where can we find a new home for this stuff? With teak, it's pretty easy because there's a demand for it. Uh, The millennials, the younger younger resumers, are interested in it, and it fits their lifestyle. It's very clean-looking furniture, and... It just fits with the size of spaces that they're currently living in, because many of them are living in small condos, so they're, you know, they need something that's very sleek, doesn't take up a lot of space, very modern lines, and, and that, seemed, that type of furniture seems to fit. The oak dining room suites that seat 12 or 14 people with extending leads, and all the china you know, place settings for 12, 14, they just don't fit that lifestyle. They don't want the china either. No. It, and when you think of what items have value, historically we think of the good dishes, the good crystal, silver serving pieces. Silver now, for the most part, is, is can be being sold as melt value. So whatever the current price for silver is, that's what you can get for a sterling silver tea service, whatever. That's the bottom line, of course. And unless it's a particularly fabulous-looking tea set.
2: When my parents passed, I mean, our tastes were very different, and there was Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that I, we, my brothers and I did not want, but Mm -hmm. dishes, like, they had so many associations with food and family that we each took some (laughs) dishes, and I use, you know, my mother's traditional dishes with the rest of my not-so-traditional stuff.
4: (laughs) I really think, as a boomer, I, I honestly believe that the boomers are the last generation of people to have actually any kind of guilt about holding on to things that belong to their, their parents or grandparents. Because I, look, I don't have kids, but I look at my nieces and nephews, and when we were clearing my mom and dad's place, they were definite about what they wanted. And it wasn't a lot. But they had no guilt about saying no to the other things. And for me, I was the only girl, I had three brothers, I found I held on to things that meant something to me. Now, you know, my mom passed away almost three years ago or over three years ago now, and I'm letting go of some of the things. But you know, there's so much of an emotional tie to this stuff. Old family recipes in her handwriting. Oh, I Hmm. still have those. Never use them. Yeah. She wasn't a great cook. (laughs) (laughs) I know I was holding on to my report cards. I have no children. My nieces and nephews could care less about my report cards. What about pictures? Pictures are an interesting category of things. We tell our clients, if your children were not with you on that 25th anniversary trip to Europe or wherever you chose to go, you don't need to keep the book for them. They're not going to look at it. So what we suggest is that they take all of the albums, and for many people that's the wall of albums, take all the pictures out, mark on the back where it was that you went. First of all, get rid of the ones that are just scenery. If there's a picture of you in front of the Eiffel Tower, that's pretty good. So you put your full name, not just me, the year, and where it was. And hold on to those. So edit your photos. It just seems
2: heartbreaking to throw out photos of people.
4: It does. And that's why, I, personally, I shred them. But if I look at the photos, and that's a really good lesson, is go through photos with your parents now. When you can ask them who's in the photos, and if they don't know who's in the photo, you sure can't feel guilty about letting them go. So get the history of things, and that goes not just for photographs, but for certain things in the family that might have a, a story behind them. Get the stories while well, you can, because you don't realize until your parents have passed that you have questions you'd like answers to. So it's a really good opportunity to do intergenerational sharing at a family get-together or something rather than just, you know, play with the iPhones and iPods.
2: Okay. On that note, we will wrap <laughs> things up. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you, Livy. Take care. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye for now. That was Karen Shin, co-owner of Downsizing Divas in Toronto. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we celebrate the last surviving member of the Bee Gees.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide, It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are
1: jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Thor star Tom Hiddleston is taking a turn as Hamlet on the London stage. The production is at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts for three weeks, and tickets are sold out. In Paris, the Museum of Modern Art is playing host to an exhibition of taboo busting jewelry demonstrating that the worlds of jewelry and art are arguably more intertwined than those of art and fashion. In Topeka, Kansas, a museum is dedicated to American daredevil Evil Knievel, who made his living jumping cars and buses, even canyons, on a motorcycle. Knievel reached worldwide recognition wearing his trademark suit with the stars of the American flag and its red, white, and blue colors. He died at the age of 69 in 2007. And in Singapore, a special exhibition is opened at the Art Science Museum, epitomizing the seduction, rebirth, and transformation of the snake. Serpent Form runs through the middle of October. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, we are celebrating the
2: 71st birthday of singer and songwriter Barry Gibb. He's best known as a co-founder of the Bee Gees, along with his brothers Robin and Maurice. But he didn't just bring his iconic falsetto to the trio. He was also the group's primary songwriter. And not only did he pen a number of the Bee Gees' number one hits, he also wrote hit songs for other artists, songs like Islands in the Stream for Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Woman in Love for Barbara Streisand, and Greece for Frankie Valli. In fact, the Guinness Book of World Records has listed Barry Gibb as the second most successful songwriter in history, surpassed only by Paul McCartney. Right now, we'll hear some of Barry Gibb's songwriting for his own group, the Bee Gees. Here is one of their greatest hits. It spent over two months on top of the U.S. Billboard charts, Night Fever. That was the Bee Gees with Night Fever. Barry Gibbs celebrated his 71st birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Zneimer.